This one's for you, Boston. Boston's a different city than it was 20 years ago. The hope rises again, and the dream lives on. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. The world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder. This is our f***ing city. Yes, it's our city. It's our community. It's our podcast. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. I'm your host, David Yaz. Alongside me, my dutiful sidekick, attorney Max Perlman. I Max. still haven't gotten a promotion from Sidekick after all these episodes. No, no, no. But, you know, Sidekick, uh, you could do worse than Sidekick, right? I mean, some of the... To some people. Some of the... <laughs> well, we have a special treat for you today. We, we, um, we're actually reporting live uh, on site at WBZ TV News because we're kind enough to be guests of the great John Keller. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have my applause sound effect uh, today. Max, could you help me? Very good. All right. So John, so John Keller needs no introduction around these parts, but uh, I'll give a brief one anyway. So John, um, you might say he's the most respected political analyst in New England, and in case there was any doubt, Andy Hiller is retiring. So that's it. I mean, game over. Drop the mic. You um, finally did it, John. <laughs> right. You finally the king of the hill. Clean living. It's its own reward. <laughs> You've seen him. You see him on WBZ TV, of course. You see him on his uh, weekly political interview program. You know him for the Keller at Large reports on a wide range of topics. He has um, sat down with uh, the political elite over the years. And um, thank you for joining us, John. Thank you for having me. So the first question I think we'd ask is what is what everyone asking is. Um, I guess it's a two-part question. What the hell happened, and are we doomed? Uh, well, uh, I was going to say, do you want the good news or the bad news first? I'm not sure there is a lot of good news. Right. Uh, no, we're not doomed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I when uh, uh, when Mayor Menino was leaving office, I was talking on the set during our coverage of his... Uh, uh, his announcement at Fanel Hall, you all remember that day. In Boston, Massachusetts, 375 years in making. The anchor man said to me, gee, John, you know, you've been covering Mayor Menino throughout his career, more than 20 years. Um, you know, are you going to miss him? I said, well, yeah, you know, on some level I will, but keep something in mind. Politicians come and go, but I am always here. <laughs> and I feel that way about this election. You know, uh, uh, the Great Depression, uh, two horrific world wars, uh, a nightmarish civil war before that couldn't destroy America. Donald Trump certainly can't, mm-hmm. if those things can. Uh, what happened? I, you know, there are certainly much brighter minds than mine going over all the data, and we should talk more about data journalism, yeah. of which I'm not a huge fan later, but um, uh, my initial reaction is that Hillary Clinton blew it, uh, that it was a winnable race, albeit a, a difficult climate for her. Uh, and when you look at how she underperformed Obama's 2012 turnout in key states among key constituencies, when you look at the fact that uh, that he uh, slightly exceeded Mitt Romney's vote among African-American voters and mm-hmm. Hispanic voters, 
I, I mean, you can just look at those two facts right there and say, whatever it was the Clinton campaign was doing, they weren't doing it well enough, and they weren't doing enough of it. So and you could throw in the fact that white women voted in favor of Trump, right? Trump carried uh, white women, which to me is, um, that's pretty shocking. Well, it also speaks to the bankruptcy and the lack of further usefulness of the identity politics mm. obsession that the Democrats have had. Mm -hmm. And not that, first of all, it turns out, lo and behold, identity politics politics based on blackness, on uh, Hispanic origins, on gender, on sexuality, can be played and played effectively. Groups of voters can be manipulated or persuaded, pick your own adjective, mm -hmm. uh, by doing that. But others can play that game as well. And I thought Van Jones on CNN, when he described the vote as a, uh, a white lash, white lash yeah. uh, cut to the chase of an important topic here. Maybe it's time to start thinking beyond these pat identity politics definitions that have dominated certainly democratic politics uh, going back 40 years now. So which is to say that white, that white people voted on, Trump courted white people as a, as a constituency? Is that what you're saying? Uh, he courted uh, a white sense of racial grievance. Right. You know, well, I mean, that would, which shouldn't come as a surprise to us that that exists. I heard one theory that he, for the first time ever, perhaps, uh, white men without college degrees voted in alarmingly high, well, alarmingly, it depends on what side you're on, but in, um, in profoundly huge numbers for Trump. So they voted as a block, mm -hmm. which is, <laughs> and, you know, you think of the stereotype as, the, as the, the, the poor, you know, angry white male, and that's... It was his voter, right? To me, it looked like it was split among geographic lines more than more than uh, um, racial or gender lines. You look at, for example, they were focusing on Michigan and, and Wisconsin, the Upper Peninsula, and rural Wisconsin was so incredibly, overwhelmingly supportive of Trump. Um, and the strange thing about that to me is, it, racism, race is not a daily part of those people's lives because they just don't have a whole lot of racial diversity, nor is terrorism really a true threat to those people, their, their daily lives. So it's, it's strange, that Trump, to me, strange to me that Trump was able to prey on those fears, um, despite the fact that these people don't have any personal connection with those issues. Trump understood the culture, uh, media culture, mass culture, the way the people absorb information and the kinds of information they absorb better than any politician in my lifetime. Is he a genius? Is he a dope or is he a genius? I can't figure it out. Well, uh, in this regard, he's extremely clever and alert. And, you know, you, there's been enough written about how this presidential campaign wasn't something he dreamed up the weekend before he came riding down the escalator. Mm. He was working on this for years, going out to lunch with the likes of Rance Priebus and, and uh, uh, getting to know people uh, uh, on the alt-right, uh, going on Alex Jones's show, doing field research on what was out there. I hate to use this term because it's so new republic -y, but the zeitgeist. Yeah. He really understood that tremendously well. I went up to Derry, New Hampshire in September of last year, and Trump was now, had already surged in the polls, mm -hmm. but it was still sort of a joke. Mm -hmm. And I went up to see one of his town hall meetings, and first of all, I noticed it was a sweltering late September afternoon at the Pinkerton School, and people, there's a long line of people out in the sun waiting. And the Trump campaign had kids uh, in jackets and ties 
passing out bottled water to the people in line. Mm. I've seen many cattle show uh, crowd scenes waiting to see candidates over the years and presidents. Never seen anything like that. That was a nice touch. But then uh, all the media is gathered for pre-event availability. And Trump's, one of Trump's henchmen comes out and says, we're running late, he'll probably just have five minutes to take a couple of questions. Out comes Trump, 45 minutes later, he's still talking. So he knew what the shortest route to visibility, low cost visibility, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, reaching his market was, which was using free media. And the way he played the media in that press conference was just brilliant. First of all, he knew who all the network producers were. Not just the network personalities, he knew who the producers were and what network they represented. He fed them first, he fed the big time print reporters, and then he fed all the locals. And he made sure that every Boston station, first the New Hampshire stations, then the Boston stations. So he knew exactly what he was doing in that regard. On policy, uh, that's a whole other story that, that remains to be seen. It really cuts against what we think of him as. We think of him, I mean, you look at the, like on Saturday Night Live, the Alec Baldwin caricature of him, and it's, it's just a buffoon, just kind of blurting things out first thing off the top of his head. So you think he, he although he might have eschewed like real research in terms of policy, he did his, he was very calculated in the way he used the media. Calculated and smart. Okay. Uh, he understood Twitter. Uh, in a, and used it in a way we've never seen before mm -hmm. and apparently intends to continue doing that. That'll be a lot of fun. But, but it, isn't that disheartening, though? Because his tweets were, <laughs> they were the, the sort of typical 3 a.m. vicious tweet that the kind that most of us would regret in the morning, and yet it, it worked for him somehow. Yeah, um, yeah it did. <laughs> the question is, will it continue? Will that kind of thing continue to work? Well, we, we saw, I'm sorry to interrupt you, John, yeah. but we saw, maybe you're going here, he had a, a tweet about the protesters that was, that was very dismissive, and he called the protesters unfair, which doesn't even really make sense. And then he comes back a couple hours later and says, sort of, uh, long live the debate, it's good to see the spirit of these people, right? Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, this guy uh, is cunning. I think that's the word for him. Not necessarily genius, certainly not dummy. Mm -hmm. He's not a dummy. Um, he's very cunning in the way uh, he uses the media and in understanding how much he could get away with and how it would be perceived. I mean, he had a, he understood the math mm -hmm. of what it would take to win that crowded Republican primary. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, every gaffe that we uh, ignorantly in the media and others thought, oh, that it's all over now. And then, remarks about John McCain, uh, sure. you name it, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Muslim ban. Yeah. And I think he had worked out in his mind the, the uh, risk-benefit analysis. Uh, and uh, you have to say his math worked out fine. Now, uh, being president and governing, I think, is different from campaigning. So how do you think he's going to be different, a different president than he was a candidate? Yeah, can he really reverse course almost and, and be diplomatic? And, and when you see him selecting Steve Bannon as, as a, oh, to a key cabinet right. position, you wonder a bit if he's mm. interested in that. Well, notice that uh, there was some talk about him selecting Bannon as the chief of staff. Mm 
Uh, and he didn't. He went for, you know, Mr. Vanilla, Rance Priebus. <laughs> and that's a way of calming the, the Republican establishment and more broadly the media uh, and other onlookers. And, you know, Bannon, uh, I don't believe, gave a single interview during his time running that campaign. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that Bannon keeps his mouth shut and does whatever evil business he might or might not be doing behind the scenes, you know, I don't know Bannon. I, I will say this campaign functioned a lot better once he took over, whether that was Kellyanne Conway's doing or Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. I don't know. I'm not on the inside there. But uh, if Bannon is a low-profile figure, not giving interviews, not running his Twitter feed, separates himself from Breitbart, which he's going to have to do, I assume. Uh, if he does that, uh, you know, and when we in the media and Trump's political critics start screaming bloody murder about something some alt-right scumbag uh, posted online or something that was on Breitbart and try to link it to Bannon and therefore to the Trump White House, how far is that exactly going to go? Or are both Trump supporters and neutral onlookers, if there are any, going to shake their heads and say, come on, uh, we didn't see this guy Bannon. Who's this guy Bannon? What are they getting all upset about that's inside baseball? Mm. Let me ask you one more thing, and then we'll take a yeah. quick break. But um, it could this be a blueprint for campaigns in the future? I mean, you know, Poor, poor Mike Dukakis has got to be sitting home shaking his head. His his campaign was essentially doomed because he looked stupid wearing an army helmet, yeah. <laughs> and so and yeah. and and Trump made himself look stupid to an, you know typical onlookers many many times. All he did was double down each time, double down, get more and more angry, dismissive name the name calling right little uh, little Marco and crooked Hillary. It, is that a disturbing thought that campaign that people may try to try to copy the strategy in the future? Well, I mean, again, uh, let, let's look at a little past history, okay? Uh, Lee Atwater ran the Bush campaign in 1988 that made mincemeat out of poor Dukakis. Yeah. Um, and the tactics Atwater used, remember how they planted the notion that Dukakis was mentally ill? And they even had President Reagan at the end of some press conference when he was still during the campaign yeah. to say, oh, I'm not going to make fun of an invalid. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that was that was yeah. considered precedent-shattering, not to mention the, the whole Pledge of Allegiance stuff mm -hmm. and all the stuff they threw at Dukakis. That was considered the end of the world, mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, that he did that and got away with it. Um, and then Karl Rove came along, and, you know, Rove was in there right after 9-11 saying, we're going to use 9-11 and the patriotic fervor to destroy the Democratic Party. And he was right. And that was considered, you know, a horrendous breach of protocol and unacceptable. We've never seen anything like this, and the world is ending. Well, by the time you get to 2008, David Axelrod readily admits they learned their lessons from Atwater and Rove. Mm -hmm. And while they would like to describe it in a more high-minded way, they, they adopted a lot of those same tactics. The job they did, the smear job they did on Mitt Romney was beyond mm. belief. And it, so it worked. Now, uh, this is a whole what Trump did, Trumpism, Trump tactics, appear to have blazed a whole new trail. Let's see. I mean, I've been watching very carefully for Trump wannabes 
who are going to follow in his wake. And we have one right here in Massachusetts, right? Kurt Schilling. <laughs> oh. So, you know, uh, he, yeah, he you're appears right. you're to, right. same thing. I'm going to use the internet President to, Schilling. to make him a senator. <laughs> senator Schilling. First, yeah. Yeah. I'm just projecting here. Yeah. Oh, High-profile yeah. high celebrity. High, right? Use yeah. his celebrity. Use, celebrity yeah. use his knowledge of social media. Yeah. Uh, use his propensity for blunt attention-getting arguments. And don't forget, remember John Silber in 1990 in the Silber shockers. Yes, that was kind of a Trump precedent too. I guess the the point I'm trying to make here is, um, uh, I'm a, I was a history major in college. I'm a, the son of a historian. Uh, uh, history suggests that ultimately there's nothing new under the sun, and what happened today doesn't destroy everything that came before and dictate everything that'll come tomorrow. Let's wait and see whether. Trumpism can be translated wholly from the campaign to governing. I'm skeptical about that. Well, I guess there's hope for the republic after all. Um, we're going to stay here with John Keller. Stay with us here on the Boston Podcast as we continue. John's going to tell us, he's going to tell us who the first female president's going to be. You didn't know you are going to tell us that, John, but uh, prepare during the break. He'll reveal that and a few more things. Stay with us. And by the way, check us out online at thebostonpodcast.com for all of our past episodes. A lot of great stuff on there. See you on the other side. This is Ellen from Mother Juice. And this is Will from Mother Juice, and you're listening to the Boston Podcast. Nailed it. So good. Yeah. So, so, I used to be a radio DJ. Yeah. Really? I get like seriously nervous about it. John Keller, political expert, WBZ. What I really want to know, I mean, the referenda really gets short shrift, especially in an election like this. They, I mean, it, it, nobody's talking about these things. So my question for you, very simply, is who came out better, the pot puffers or the pirouetting pigs? <laughs> well, you know, you're right uh, about the ballot questions not getting the attention they deserved because those are real, in a way that voting for a candidate sometimes isn't. These are a real litmus test. I mean, these, these force you to focus on an issue yeah. rather than on a personality. So what have we learned about the priorities of our fellow citizens? <laughs> we prioritize uh, a, a good buzz, yes. hopefully quick liftoff, nice tra trajectory, mellow landing, right? Like yep. on the menus you get in Amsterdam. <laughs> uh, so we, we like that. Uh, and we're concerned about chickens and piglets and, and their comfort and... Uh, or maybe, to some extent, we just want them to be tastier. Apparently, they're tastier. <laughs> they you, have you get the munchies. You, you want a tasty... Well, don't forget the dogs. We saved the dogs last right. time around, right? Yeah. The, the, the dog raising. Uh, however, our social concern for the future of poor black and Latino children trapped in mediocre or failing schools appears to not quite match the intensity of our desire to get high and take care of pigs and chickens. <laughs> So that is certainly food for thought going forward. Yeah, no, that's, that is depressing. Hello, everybody. This is Jimmy Tingle, and you are listening to the Boston Podcast. So let's double back to national politics. Um, so uh, I gave you the tease, and tell me what you think. I mean, we, we, there were 
First off, did let me know. Did you did you catch uh, Saturday Night Live? I did see parts of it. Okay, yeah. the the, uh, the opening with Kate McKinnon doing that. I'm, I'm queuing up a little bit of it here. Um, we got to uh, make this a little louder here. Go ahead, Kate. Kate McKinnon as Hillary gets out there and she sings this wistful song. It just it 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 um it made me a little sad for some reason because the song is so sad. I think, but it was almost, almost unprecedented that the show. Um, appeared to really take a position like we're really sad that Hillary lost I don't know what did you think John? well you know uh, after 9-11 they did sure. a commemorative show remember Rudy Giuliani came out with the firefighters yeah. and so they can be serious at times I mean I, I didn't uh, I admire Leonard Cohen's work but I wasn't a big fan necessarily and I don't know uh, well you're more of a jazz guy I, I'm more I'm, of a jazz yes. uh, yeah and um I'm not really into all this keening and rending of garments and mourning and marching. I mean, it's fine. If people want to do that, they do. For, for many people, it is, you know, like a death, I guess. And sure. certainly for her, uh, it's the end of a long struggle in, a, in the most disappointing possible fashion. So I respect that. But, uh, you know, it did, that skit didn't do much for me. I mean... Uh, we, you know, first of all, the the Democrats have to be honest with themselves about what went wrong. The Republicans weren't after the two Obama victories. Remember, Rance Priebus oversaw the writing of this elegant document in which they said, "Oh, we were too harsh on immigration. We got to rein it in. We we just." didn't reach out to African Americans and Latinos enough. We gotta do more of that. We gotta show our heart and soul. And in the meantime, a you know extremely caustic, race-baiting uh, candidate is, while they're writing that, he's gearing up to eat their lunch. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know if I'm answering your question uh, uh, very well. But no, that's okay. So, um, I mean, to me, it became more more of a race about principles than the actual candidates themselves. I think the people that, and we saw how many people didn't vote. The The winner of this election was, didn't vote, right? Whoever that person is, they won. They overwhelming numbers. Um, but the Hillary people, I think a lot of them, and I'll cop to being um, in, in this group. Um, you brought up John Silver. You, you might remember my aunt Margie Clapperwood was his running mate. So yep. thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, sorry. Pain, painful memory. Um, no, but so I was I was raised by um, you know uh, bleeding hearts, and although I had no affection for Hillary, she didn't inspire me in the slightest bit. I sort of got the fact that this is there was a historical moment looming, um, and I think a lot of people Hillary supporters kind of just cringed at her every non-inspirational word, but. This is a nice moment. The woman's going to become president. The, a lot of the Trump supporters were clearly motivated by their hatred for Hillary. This, they, they thought that we were being snookered by this this criminal. Um, and so you had these. So to me, the, the sort of sadness among the, the SNL folk or the left is just this was going to be like a nice moment. And, and it's gone. And it, and it got ripped down by um a pretty uh, embittered man, or it is. Oh, it would have been, right. in the ugliest possible way. That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 So again, I don't blame anybody for feeling, you know, depressed or uh, questioning what kind of country this is or where it's going. I just think it's overwrought, yeah. and I, uh, you know, uh, 
I, I'm not the first person to say this, that's for sure, but watching the, the protesters marching, uh, not the professional protesters, as the president-elect put it, but the people that <laughs> the were legitimately out there. I, I wanted to hear from every last one of them, did you vote? Yeah. You know, because if you didn't, I'm not interested in your protest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you don't play, then you don't c will complain afterward about the results. So, th but that's a problem. That's what the so, president said. Obama said to the the, heckler, the, the, the people shouting down the, the, the pro-Trump heckler, he says, it was very eloquent. Did you hear, did you hear that? Ben I Max? heard when that. He said he, 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 he said he's elderly. You've got to respect that. He's... Uh, He's protesting. He's expressing his first amendment. That's great. So don't boo him. Don't boo vote. And I'm not even doing it justice. He said it better, better than that. Yeah. But but it's like you're saying to those people. So you're right. Shame on them if they didn't vote. Yeah. I mean that's the way the game is played. Yeah. And you know oh, the hand wringing about oh she won the popular vote but lost the electoral card. Those are the rules. Yeah. Everyone knew. She knew. Uh, and you know. Go ahead. If you want to organize around a constitutional amendment to get rid of the Electoral College, absolutely go for it. But again, uh, you know, there's, the, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> and while some crying is certainly understandable after an event like this, uh, that attitude can't linger. But lessons have to be learned. And, you know, you asked about women, yeah. when, who will be the first woman yes. president. Uh, yeah, I can't give you a name because no one immediately comes to mind. I mean, Brooke Perlman. It's Max's daughter. It's my daughter. Yeah. Okay. So remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always had high hopes for Oprah, uh, but she's... It's funny. I just brought her up to Max. We were sitting in the lobby. And I think if Trump were really, really clever, he'd find a spot in his cabinet for Oprah. Mm. Mm -hmm. What, you know, supposedly... Accept that? Reaching across the, 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 the aisle, right? I mean... Reaching across uh, mu a multiplicity uh, yeah. of yeah, the things. Yeah. And she's certainly capable. Mm -hmm. uh, she'd be as capable a cabinet secretary, what... HUD, maybe, mm -hmm. or Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, anyway, I doubt that's going to happen, but uh, so I can't give you a name, but I can tell John, you. He's got Omarosa, okay, isn't that all I need? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, when does the bowing down begin? Remember that was her line? Well, all his oh critics will have to bow down. Yeah. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah, she, she, she's, she's an odd human being. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. strange. Given her genesis in the, in the spotlight, it's not surprising. And this is the thing, too, as we're going forward here. I don't know when this is going to air, but maybe when Hopefully it does. Very soon, yes. Okay, uh, ho watch the appointments closely. I mean, yes, there will be a few people like Bannon who you'll say, oh, my God, you know, this, be beyond the pale. Uh, again, I, I don't know Bannon personally well enough. I mean, I, I don't know Rudy Giuliani personally, but it, to me, his behavior during the campaign was unhinged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't see him as someone suitable for a high position of authority. And if the president-elect appoints him to one, I think that would be a major warning sign. AG or Supreme Court. Uh, you know, just not not yeah. acceptable. Yeah. We need him to turn back into reasonable post-9-11, Rudy. How but, about uh, Chris Christie for Secretary of Transportation? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he can close whatever bridges he wants at that point. Apparently, <laughs> he is he is the most out of luck person in America <laughs> like, right what? now. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Uh, there was there's been some stories about how uh, Trump personally was disgusted by him letting the aide take the fall for Bridgegate, okay, and that that helped lead to his fall from grace within the campaign structure. So if he doesn't, if he's reviled by the Trump people and he's reviled by everyone else, he, no friends he can't stay in New Jersey. Where's he going to go? I know. I mean, the witness protection program beckons, you know? But uh, it's going to, the first woman president is likely to be someone um, 
from outside the political process, who doesn't have the kind of baggage that Hillary Clinton dragged behind her, and it's going to be someone who doesn't run on gender at all, hmm. uh, who transcends that by the nature of their personality and who they are. So you're saying not Liz Warren? No, definitely not Liz right. Warren. Yeah, that's right. Definitely uh, not. Well, what about, as long as we're spitballing here, how about Michelle Obama? Well, you know, uh, her problem is she'd have baggage, too. Yeah. You had a wife of a former president? I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> I know. It, it hasn't been a good season for people with famous presidential last names. Well, but she acquitted yeah, herself, yeah. herself very well when she, when she spoke at the convention, right? Um, I mean, the big downside is she doesn't have nearly the experience as some others, but... Didn't she? She, Trump, she didn't but seem Trump, to want to be there back in. Trump just in, lowered the bar. Yeah, two thousand eight. She, I think, Barack said, "Okay, we got we got two terms, and then we're out of Washington, and, yeah. and, and we have no interest in being here anymore." Yeah, I mean, so, keep in mind, Obama wasn't exactly brimming with experience when he was elected. Very true. Couple of terms in the state senate. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, less than a full term in the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, le that's less experience than JFK, who had been a congressman mm -hmm. and then a senator. Uh, it's less than George W. Bush, even though he proved to be in, in over his head in many ways. Uh, he at least had been a, you know, a governor of essentially a, a country, mm -hmm. a president of a country, if you think of Texas mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, could it, I mean, could it be someone with, with star power? I mean, it can't be. It couldn't be someone like I'm picking a name, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, because she'd be. I assume she'd be way too far to the left for the, most of the country to stomach, right? And everything that, that Ellen represents. Not, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but I'm just saying. Um, Oprah, Oprah might be one, right? I mean, she's 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 in a lot of the same Obama voters you think would be Oprah people. Um, I can't. Can you think of somebody else? Can you think um, of the female version of Trump? I mean, we Kim, had Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Could be a possibility. Mm -hmm. Well, you're joking, but we can't joke anymore about this. I mean, the guy, the the the, the guy, you know. Um, you heard it here first. You well, know, ten, ten years ago on The Simpsons, they had a flash forward, and it was a, a total satire. And Donald Trump was was Lisa Simpson was taking over for President Donald Trump, who left the country in ruins, and now it actually came to pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, over a decade ago, there was this movie comedy called Idiocracy. Did you catch it? No, but it, somebody just brought find, my attention to that recently. Find it on Netflix. Yeah. And it was this dystopian vision of a future America where a rapper is president uh, and uh, decades of abandonment of the educational system have resulted in near total ignorance. The streets are littered with trash. Everything is crumbling. Armed... <laughs> Robocops, right. you know, roam the streets enforcing order. And it was a comedy, but uh, it's well worth going back and watching. A lot of that stuff has come true. No, I mean, I couldn't possibly. You're right, Trump has shattered any preconceptions about, you know, what kind of qualifications you necessarily have to have. Whether it's a one-off or not, I guess that's the big question. I don't know. Do you think he tries to have as much impact as he can in the next four years? Or is he going to be campaigning for his next term during this administration? Well, it's, uh, that's a really great question because apparently, as I saw the other day, he's indicated he wants to keep doing the big rallies. Hmm. That he likes them. Of course. That's what he's good at, right? That's what he's good yeah. at. And, 
you know, from following people like Tony Schwartz, the guy who wrote The Art of the Deal, his analysis was some of the most interesting throughout this campaign because he spent 18 months sitting at a desk in Trump's office listening in on his phone calls and observing all his meetings in order to write that book. He tried to just interview him, but Trump's ADD is so bad that interviews don't work for him. <laughs> so they settled on this compromise, and he really got to know the guy. He says his craving for affirmation is total, and you can see yep, that, absolutely. right? He wants to be loved. Now... I think, Mr. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm here, that that offers hope to all of you who are curled up in a ball, cringing, rocking, and moaning in the corner. <laughs> because uh, if he craves constant public affirmation, and we know that he's obsessed with polls, well, uh, then he will be, if he does something, if Steve Bannon comes out and does something, or, or convinces him to do something that provokes a visceral, massive, negative public reaction, then he'll react to that. Right. He won't be oblivious to public opinion. And that would be the worst thing of all, a president of any kind that's completely oblivious to public opinion. Don't forget, what did it take? About two months for the new President Obama to step in it with the Skip Gates episode. Oh, yeah. The Cambridge police officer. Oh, yeah. Remember? The Cambridge ago, yeah. police acted stupidly. Whoa! Yeah. His yeah. poll numbers plummeted. He was yeah. forced to abjectly apologize. And then the beer, didn't the beer summit come beer out of that? And then the beer <laughs> summit. <laughs> yeah. I can see something like that happening within a matter of weeks of the inauguration, if not sooner. Mm -hmm. See, I think what Trump should do now is, and sooner than later, say um, to these protesters, say, R I want to round up a dozen of the the, the most uh, well-spoken, nonviolent protesters and invite them to the White House. And just, I want to sit with you for a couple hours. I want to listen and just bite your tongue and just listen. And it would, it would be, to me, that would be, because he could say, I'm grateful to everyone who put me in office, but I need to listen to the entire country. It just—it's a—it would be a very un-Trump-like thing to do. But what would he, what what could he lose? He could have come out at that uh, that first public appearance with Obama uh, and said, "All the press was there," and he, he said, "You know, we're not taking questions or anything." But after complimenting the president, he was very gracious there. He could have said, "And and I want to add a word to all of you that are protesting." my victory, that I'm aware of you, I respect your right to protest, I hope you'll give me a chance, I want to make you proud too. Right. And he could have said to those who might be committing acts of harassment or even violence uh, against people who oppose me, uh, don't do it. Uh, you're, you're not helping me. I abhor what you're doing or thinking of doing. Don't do it. I think he That's, did that on 60 Minutes. Finally. Yeah, finally he did, yeah. He did. Yeah. There's no cost there. That's right. not going to cost him a single supporter. Right. So within the man are these competing instincts. The instinct to be liked, to be appropriate, as he was in the immediate aftermath, the meeting with Obama right. and so forth, and the instinct to just lash out willy-nilly uh, whenever he's challenged and he's going to have to reconcile those two and find the right balance fast. Yeah. I wonder how that so th those, those parts of his personality are going to impact his desire to be retaliatory against people who did not support him or besmirched him during the campaign. For example, Speaker Ryan, how, how, how uh, warmly he'll be embraced uh, going forward. 
and also the decision as to whether to follow through with the with the, uh, the threat to prosecute uh, Hillary Clinton. That'll be interesting. Which right? I think leaves Obama with an interesting choice as to whether to pardon her before she leaves office. Can he and pardon for something that she hasn't even been indicted for? Or? Yeah, I mean, he would, he would, <laughs> I think uh, he could do it. He could? I think so. A blanket pardon? A blanket yeah. pardon. Yeah. yeah. Hillary can do anything he, she wants. He could do that. I mean, what, what, the, what are they going to indict her for? I mean, good luck. I'd love they to tried. be... I'd love to be her lawyer yeah. uh, uh, if they went ahead and subsequently indicted her on the email thing after what Comey said and what the Justice Department ruled. So is there a moment coming when Trump is going to have to um, eat his words? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, he's already uh, backed off on the full repeal of Obamacare, mm -hmm. right? He's already complimented profusely the great Satan, President Obama, mm -hmm. and, the and, great, and the great Sataness. Right, Hillary Clinton. He said yep. kind words about her. Said he's okay on gay marriage. He said that that's the law. I'm going to leave it alone. It turns out the Great Wall is going to be at least partly fence. Is that what he said? Yeah, in oh. the 60 Minutes interview. Oh, so you know, and this is—it's a pr pr proverbial wall. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean a real wall. I don't know why you thought that. This is fully <laughs> consistent. This is not unprecedented. Mm -hmm. I mean. Uh, President Obama was going to close Guantanamo first the first hundred days. Still right? working on it. Yeah, still working on it. Gee, that hasn't happened. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, fully to be expected, and it's appropriate, and it should be, however, marginally reassuring to people that he this guy is not immune to the same forces that have moderated past presidents' behavior. So we need to wrap up, John. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Um, in two thousand and eight, you came out with a book. Uh, the Bluest State, How Democrats Created the Massachusetts Blueprint for American Political Disaster. Yes. Which sounds... Which, which sounds A little hyperbole yeah, there, huh? still available on Amazon. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like... For a modest price, you too. Could, you could, that's right. You could, um, you could sense a little, I don't know what cynicism in your title there, but from what I gather, you still love doing this. That was eight years ago. So um, tell me, do you still love your job? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I don't love everything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't love covering this campaign really? because it was, it was depressing at times. Uh, Trump's behavior and the acceptance of it was depressing as a citizen, as a husband and father, mm -hmm. as uh, somebody who loves women and respects them. I don't want to see this kind of behavior normalized. John, nobody respects women more than you do. That's true. Let's go Keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, the sight of her was kind of depressing too. I mean, it. it, it look, my book, uh, since you mentioned it, sure. was all about the arrogance and the excesses and the self-delusions of the baby boom generation of political leadership in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. both conservative and liberal, although since liberals have dominated, it was primarily focused on that. So here we are. We just had perhaps the last election matching two baby boomer major party candidates. And oh, did they do us all proud, you know. Uh, the baby boomers have been responsible for many wonderful things. The ready availability of sushi and pad thai, okay. Uh, uh, gadgets like the smartphone, bravo, you know, it's a wonderful thing. Also horrible in many ways. But when it comes to politics, it's a disastrous generation. Uh, I felt that way and strongly argued it in my book eight years ago. I feel all the more strongly about it now. Get out of the way 
uh, go on vacation, go into the nursing home, and this is my generation we're talking about now, let the Gen Xers and the Millennials take over. They cannot do worse than we've done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that uplifting note, thank you very much, John Keller. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, I, I learned a lot, Max. I, I don't know it. if I'm any more hopeful, but I feel that I'm more <laughs> <laughs> filled in. So thanks for joining us on the Boston Podcast. Make sure to check out John Keller, as I'm sure you already already do regularly on WBC TV News. Uh, the news at 6 and 11 p.m. Also check out his, his regular interview show, morning drive time commentaries. You're everywhere, John. Don't have a podcast yet, though. It's all, I'm working on it. All right. <laughs> Watch out. Watch your back, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us and visit us online at thebostonpodcast.com. See ya.